Good morning. You know, I, I guess um, over time I have begun to learn that in the good times and the extremely difficult times, what I need the most is the same and both. And it's truth. God's truth. Not my truth, God's truth. Because God's truth gives me perspective on life and what he has planned for me today. And so today, I know your many hearts are heavy as mine are and goes out and mine is just kind of reeling. But today, can we just, can we draw that in and draw into God's truth? Because we are talking about the most important thing we could talk about. And that's God's love for us. We've been looking at this series, Red Thread, and, and trying to find a thread throughout all the Old Testament that shows us God's love for us and how God rescues us. And we've looked at like the ark, and we've looked at like the Tower of Babel, and we've looked at so many different things. And hopefully, if you've been coming through this series, I think this is like week five, what we found out is there really is a Heavenly Father who is ultimately in control. He is on a throne, and nothing catches him off guard. But it sure catches me off guard, doesn't it, you? But aren't you thankful it doesn't catch him off guard? And he is orchestrating his plan to carry out his will. And in that, we see his love, but we see his ultimate plan to rescue all of humanity, those who put their faith in Christ. And so today, we're going to be in the book of Exodus. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn there with me. The book of Exodus is where we're going to be. Chapter 1 is where we're going to start. And, and I want to say out of the gate, we, we have looked at specific stories. We've looked at creation. We've looked at the fall. We have looked at uh, the ark. We've looked at the Tower of Babel. And last week, probably the best example of the red thread of God's love for us and redemption and rescue of us is through the story of Abraham and Isaac. And if you weren't here last week, I, I challenge you to go back and listen to that because there's so much powerful truth in that story. Do you remember when Abraham had lifted the knife that he was going to obey God and is going to take the life of his only son, and yet the, the angel stopped him. Do you remember that? Say, I, I remember that. Do you remember that? And the angel stopped him and said, hey, stop, stop, stop. Hey, hey, you, we, we've seen your faithfulness. And then Abraham noticed a ram. And if you remember the story, I said, how thankful was Abraham that there was a ram caught? But how thankful was Isaac that there was a ram? Listen, we are Isaac. We deserve death hell and separation, and Jesus is our ram. Jesus is the one who took our place. And what a beautiful picture what Jesus has done for us. And today we're going to do something a little different. We're going to cover 12 chapters in about 25 minutes, all right, of Exodus. But here's what I'm going to ask you to do with me this morning. I'm going to ask you to zoom out. We've been right in the heart of a story looking for the red thread, the thread of rescue and God's love. And today I'm going to ask us to zoom out like to 30,000 feet because what I want us to see today is this, that in every story of rescue, that in every story of redemption, there's always three key parts are three key pieces, and I want us to see all three of them through the first 12 chapters of the book of Exodus. If you have your Bibles with me, I'm going to do a lot of reading today, so I want you to stay with me today. Exodus chapter 1, we see the first piece of the story of redemption. It says this in verse 6, then Joseph died, and all his brothers and all the generations, but the people of Israel, who were fruitful and increased greatly, they multiplied and they grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. 
And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us and escape from land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them in heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh's store cities, Pythom and Ramses, and but the more they were oppressed, and the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread or fear of the people of Israel. Listen to this. So they ruthlessly made people of Israel work as what? Slaves. Slaves. And made their lives bitter and hard for service and mortar and brick and all kinds in the field. And all the work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Twice he says that. Why? Because what I want you to notice is this, is that the first part, the first piece of the story of redemption is always slavery. Now, I want to walk back to the passage and I want you to think with me. The first thing it said was Joseph is dead. Now, you may not remember who Joseph is. Joseph was this amazing God who loved God. He was faithful to God. He was so amazing that his brothers sold him into slavery, right? I mean, they didn't want him anymore. They were ready to get rid of him. And Joseph finds his way into the land of Egypt. And as he's in Egypt, he honors God. He lives for God. And God escalates him through the ranks of the Egyptian hierarchy to the point where Joseph has got so much control and power other than the Pharaoh that he's able to orchestrate and do many things. Well, there came a season in Israel's history that Israel went through a famine. God said it was going to happen, and a famine came on the land of Israel. And they all began to migrate to Egypt because Egypt had food. Well, guess who gets to deal with the people of Israel when they show up in Egypt? An Israelite named Joseph. In fact, Joseph actually gets to help his brothers who sold him into slavery. He's the one that's able to help them and give them food so they would able, be able to live and to survive. Now, about the story you need to know is this, is that while they got to Egypt and there was food there, they decided, hey, this is where there's food, there's famine at home, let's just stay here. And they began to settle in Egypt, and they began to multiply and to grow and to expand, and Pharaoh's armies loved Joseph, and therefore they properly treated the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, they treated them kindly. And the Bible says, but Joseph is now passed away. He's gone. And there's a new king with some new policies. And he doesn't remember Joseph. He doesn't remember this guy who loved God but also served Egypt faithfully. He doesn't remember there's this guy that, that they honored Israel but also honored what they believed. There was this guy named Joseph. He doesn't know Joseph. All he knows as a new king is this truth. There's a whole heck of a lot of these Israelites, and if we're not careful, they're going to overtake us. Or if we're not careful, here's what's going to happen. They're going to side with our enemies, and they're going to destroy us. This new king had some new policies, and he had a humongous fear about Israel taking them over. That's the story. So he does what all good kings do. We need to oppress the Israelites. We need to do something. We need to keep our thumb on them. We need to push them back down. They need to know their place. And the only way to do that is by putting taskmasters over them and putting them into slavery. We will reign and we will rule over them. They're in our country. There are way too many of them. And so what we're going to do is we're going to make them our slaves. And that's exactly what they did. And you know what they were slaves doing? Yes, they worked in the field, but they were also slaves to build cities, to be with brick and to be mortar. And to just, if you've ever done that work, it is just horribly difficult. Can you imagine doing it way back then, right? No forklifts, 
No, no, no cranes, it was all manual, and it was all them taskmastering and lording over them their tasks. I mean, and here's the saddest part of the story. For 400 years, Israel were slaves to Egypt. Now, Doug, why in the world does that matter? Here's why. Because the story of Israel, the nation of Israel, their story begins with slavery. And I want you to hear me and follow me for just a minute. Everybody in this room, that's exactly how our story starts as well, with slavery. Listen to the words of Paul. Romans chapter six. You don't have to turn there, but just listen to this. Romans chapter six, verse 15 says this. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin and have become obedient from the heart of the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and have been set free from sin, become slaves of righteousness. And let's just stop there. Here's what we learned. Paul says this, before you knew Christ, you were a slave to sin. Before you said yes to Christ, you were a slave to sin. Here's what it means. That sin reigned and it ruled in our hearts and our lives. Now, some of you go, well, Doug, you know what? I'm not a slave to anything. I'm not, I'm not a slave to sin. Yes, you are. If you believe that, you're a slave to pride, and pride is a sin. Amen. The Bible says that for all have sinned. Before we knew Christ, before we trusted Christ as our Savior, we are all slaves to sin. All of us. Every single one of us is a slave to sin, and sin reigned and it ruled in our hearts. In fact, the Bible would say this, that we were as enemies to God in that moment, that we were rebellious toward God. Now, please hear me. When we were in that stage in our life that sin reigned and ruled, it would tear us down, make us hard-hearted and calloused toward the things of God, just like slavery did for Israel. Now, I want you to hear me this morning because this is so important for us. All of our stories, all of us, mine, yours. Before we knew Christ, we all had the same story, slavery. We weren't slaves to anybody. We are slaves to sin. Sin reigned and ruled. You did not have this just unbelievable God conscious that made you make the right choice. No, the Bible says you're sinners. We always had this propensity to rebel against God. That's how God, that's how, what the fall did. We talked about the fall, sin comes in the world. We are all born with this sin nature. That's why we all need a savior. And we all are an enemy of God at that point. The Bible says that we are all sin, that we all were slaves to sin at one point. Now here's the thing I want you to hear. There's some of you maybe in the room today that do, does not have a personal relationship with Christ, and I don't want to offend you, but I just want to speak truth into your life, and here's the truth. The Bible would teach you this, that you are a slave to your sin, that sin is reigning and ruling in your life, that you are in rebellion against God and you are an enemy of God. That's the story. That's where some of you are today. But the good news is there's hope, right? I'm gonna tell you, if there's one thing our culture has lost, it's the word hope, hasn't it? 
I mean, you look through not just the tragedies of life, but the, the politics of life. I mean, you just look at what's going on in our world. If there's an essence that's missing, it's the idea of hope. And if there's anything that I think believers bring to the table that we got to bring to the table, it's the idea that there is hope. Hope is not found in somebody else. Hope is not found in a better political system. Hope is not found in getting all the answers that I desire when tragedy strikes. Hope is saying, I trust that God is in control and that he's got my best interest and that he is reign supremely. And I have hope in that. That's what we need to be doing. And I think if there's anything missing, it's this essence of hope in our culture. But if you don't know Christ today, listen to me, the Bible would just simply say this, that you are a slave to sin. But there's hope. But can I tell you what maybe a greater tragedy is today? There are many of us in this room today that say that we're followers of Jesus Christ and we've been set free from the power, the penalty, and the payment of sin. But we're still living like slaves. Come on, are you with me on that? There's some of us today that say that we are Christ followers and that we are free from the power of sin, the penalty of sin, and the payment of sin. Jesus has done all that for us, but yet we find ourselves still living like slaves to sin. Such things as addiction. Some of us claim to be followers of Jesus, and yet addictions reign and rule in our lives. And I know sometimes when we think about addictions, we think about, well, drugs or alcohol or pornography. Hey, what about shopping? Hey, what about cigarettes? Hey, what about anything that I have to have in my life that I have to have to make my life complete or I can't excel? Listen to me. If there's an addiction that is reigning and ruling your life, it is fracturing your walk with Christ. I don't care what it is. And some of us, that's where we're at. There's maybe an addiction. Maybe it's lust that's reigning and ruling our hearts. Maybe it's greed that's reigning and ruling. I don't know what it is, but there's some of us today, I know, that claim to be followers of Jesus, and we're still living like we're not free from sin, but we're slaves to sin. And I'm telling you, for you, guess what? There's hope, right? There's hope. Now, here's the thing about the story that I love. If you read verse, chapters 2 and, and going on close to 3, here's what you're going to find out. That while Israel found themselves in slavery, Israel did something fascinating. They cried out to God. Now, there's a part of me that goes, why did it take 400 years? I don't understand. But 400 years later, they began to cry out to God and say, God, we need you. They found themselves in slavery, and here's what they did. They didn't try to figure it out amongst themselves. They didn't plan a coup to overthrow Egypt. They just simply cried out to the creator God. Please listen to me. If you find yourselves in the bondage of slavery today, whether you're a believer or a, a non-believer, and you find sin reigning and ruling in your life, would you just simply cry out, not to me, not to your neighbor, but cry out to the God of the universe and beg for his help, beg for his mercy, Beg for his guidance, instruction, and direction in your life. That's what Israel did. Which leads me to the second piece of this story of redemption. Look with me in chapter 3, verse 1 through 10. Very familiar passage says this. Now Moses was keeping the flocks of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight while the bush is not burned. Now, just pause there for a moment. 
How many of you are going to stop and be intrigued with a burning bush that's not being consumed? I mean, I think sometimes we read Scripture and go, oh, yeah, that's a burning bush story. No, no, no. He's walking, and he's just kind of meandering around, going to the mountain of God, and he sees this burning bush, and this angel speaking to him, and he's like, I need to stop. There needs to be a moment that my, my focus and my attention, something amazing is happening, and I need to stop what I'm doing and paying attention, right? Not to mention, it probably freaked him out to see a burning bush that wasn't being consumed, Right? Now look what happens, next verse. He says this. And Moses said, I'm gonna turn aside, verse four. He says, when the Lord saw that he turned aside, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. Would that have scared you? And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Listen to this. When we are in the presence of God, we are on holy territory at that moment. And he wanted Moses to understand that when we are meeting face to face, when you are in my presence, this is a holy place. This is not happenstance. This is not circumstance. This is not an unimportant event in your life. This is a moment your life is about to change. Please hear me. When we come into the presence of God, this moment should be a moment that we ask God and beg God, would you do something? something in me to change my life because this is not a holy place but we are in a holy presence are you with me on that let's go on i'll never get through the verse here we go he says this in verse six and he said i am the god of your father abraham the god of isaac the god of jacob and Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land to a good and a broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Parasites, Hevites, Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression in which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now here's the second piece of this, uh, this, this zoomed out story of redemption. We have slavery, they're in slavery, that is our story, but now we have, when they cry out to God, the rise of a deliverer, right? God rose up Moses to deliver his people. Now, why did God raise up, raise up Moses? He raised up Moses because God loved his people. One of my favorite verses in that is when it says this in verse 7, and I have surely seen the affliction of my people, and I have heard their cry. Now, everybody just look at me for a moment. I want to be just gut level honest. There are times in my life when I'm praying and I'm seeking God, and I feel like I'm on hold, Right? I feel like he's preoccupied with somebody else's junk, but my junk's really big, God, and I need a word from you right now. And I seek him, and I pursue him, and I just feel like sometimes maybe God is ignoring me, maybe God's upset with me, God's not paying attention to me, he's got me on hold. I mean, I, I feel, do you ever feel like that sometimes? But this reminds me that he hears our cries. I don't know how he hears, but we can all cry at the same time. And the Heavenly Father, the supreme, omnipotent, omnipotent one, hears our cries. He hears us. And I love the fact that we know that God loves his people because we're reminded that he heard their cries. They're in slavery, in bondage. And they cry out to God and he says, I heard the cries of my people. 
Now, I just want to give somebody a really good word of encouragement today. When you cry out to your heavenly father, he's not ignoring you. He hears you. He hears you. And you know how else I know that God raised up Moses because he loved him? Because God had a heart to do something about it. God just didn't hear Israel and go, you know what? You've not been in slavery long enough. I'll wait another 400 years. That's not what happened. God heard the cries of his people and he raised up Moses because God had a heart to deliver them. God had a heart to do something. Look what it says here in verse seven. He says, I know there's, in verse eight, I know there's sufferings and I have come down. Now, if you have a Bible, you need to underline that. I have come down. What does that sound like? To me, it sounds like John chapter one, right? The word became flesh and he dwelt among us. That Jesus came down and became one of us. Now, I told you last week, this simple truth is this, is that anytime you see the story of rescue or the story of redemption in scripture, it's always, always, always got a moment of intervention or interruption, right? Remember me telling you that? It's always got a moment of intervention or interruption, like Noah and the ark. We don't even know if it had rained up to that point, and God tells Noah to build an ark. Do you think that was an interruption in Noah's life? Yes. What about the Tower of Babel? Did God intervene and come down and do something to intervene in the sin of what they were doing? Yes. What about being little 12 to 14-year-old Mary walking around and one day an angel pops up and goes, hey, by the way, you're going to have the son of God. Was that an interruption in Mary's life? Yes, it was. And I'm just telling you, I love this because I'm reminded that God still comes down. Now, he may not come in a physical form, he may not come through an angel, but his Holy Spirit lives in the hearts and the lives of believers, and he still comes down, and he ministers, and he speaks to us. He says, he came down. What a picture of how God wanted to do something. So here's what God does. He calls Moses out. Moses, I'm sending you. Now, we're not going to talk about what Moses said because that would derail us right now because we know how that story went, right? It took a while for Moses to get totally on board with this. But the point is this, is that God saw the needs of the people. They're in slavery. They've cried out to him. And so God adds that second piece to the story of redemption. He raises up a deliverer. He shows them how much he loves them and cares for them and how much he wants to deliver them. And he sends Moses to do the job. Now, please hear this. We, too, have a deliverer, don't we? And his name is Jesus. Here's one of the most simple verses in all the Bible. You already know it. For God so loved the world, the what? That whosoever will not perish, have eternal life. Now, in that one verse, here's what I learned that God loved me so much that he sent the only son that he had. Not one of many, but one. And he sent him because he loved me. And if I put my faith in him, he will deliver me from perishing. That word perishing is a loaded word. It literally means eternal separation. That's what perishing is. When you perish, it's eternal separation. But rather than, rather than just deliver me from that, he also gives me something. He delivers me from eternal punishment and separation and perishing, but he gives me everlasting life. He gives me eternal life with Christ Jesus, my Lord. God is still delivering us, and he does it through the person and the work of Christ. John 3, 16 reminds me that I'm delivered from the perishing of my sin. Romans 5, 8 says that God demonstrated his love in this, that while we were still sinners, guess what? Christ died for who? For who? Come on, everybody, for who? Us, us. 
While I didn't deserve it, God sent his son who delivered me from the penalty of sin. Now, please hear me today. We have a deliverer, and his name is Jesus. It's not your neighbor. It's not your spouse. It's not your best friend. It's not your school teacher. It's Jesus. Whatever you're going through, there is one person who's the answer to your greatest struggle, and it's him. Now, here's what I love about the story. We don't have time to read verses four, chapters 4 through 11, so let me just tell you a little bit. If you keep reading, here's what you find out that Israel was so put out by being in bondage and slavery that they cried out to God. God raised up a deliverer. His name was Moses. And when Moses comes on the scene, they are so thrilled to know that Moses come on the scene, they're willing to do whatever he tells them to do because they want to get out of slavery. When you look at the story of Israel, at this point, what you find out is this. They are so desperate to get out from under the bondage of slavery, they are willing to do whatever God says. And here's a thought for us. If you're under the bondage of slavery, are you willing to do whatever it takes to get out from underneath it? Are you willing to surrender some things in your life to get out from underneath it? Are you willing to let go of some relationships to get out from underneath it? Are you willing to let go of some, what we call habits, better known as addictions, to get out from underneath it? Are you willing to let go of some of the lust and the greed and the anger that's raging in your heart to get out from underneath the Listen, that stuff will hold you in bondage. That stuff will hold you down and hold you back and keep us from excelling in our walk with Christ. Are we as desperate as Israel to do whatever God asks us to do just to get out of the bondage of slavery? And only you can answer that question. Now let me tell you the third piece and then we're gonna wrap it up. The first piece is the piece of slavery. The story of redemption always begins with slavery. Then there's the deliverer. And the last of all is the rescue. Let's look how God rescued his people. Chapter 12, you can flip over to chapter 12, verse five. In fact, in verse three, it says, each household should take a lamb, and he says this, your lamb, in verse five, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male year old, and you may take it to the sheep from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, and when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it over the doorpost and the lintel of the house which, and, in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that night, roast on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat. Do not eat any of the raw or boiled in the water, but roast it, its head with its legs, its inner parts, and it shall let none of the remain until the morning. Anything that remains until morning, you shall burn. In this manner, listen to this, in this manner you shall eat it. With your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike the firstborn in the land of Egypt. But both man and beast, and in all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be assigned for you on the house where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you, and you to destroy you, and I will strike the land of Egypt. Now listen to me. Here's what we find out. Some of you are like, oh my gosh, what in the world is that? Here's what it is. It's rescue. That's what he's talking about. Yeah. A nation in bondage who's cried out to God, who now God has sent a deliverer who goes to them, and they're willing to do whatever he says, now is about to experience rescue and redemption. And so God says, listen, Here's what it is. Here's what rescue takes. You ready? Listen. Here's what rescue requires. Rescue always requires sacrifice. Always. It always 
requires sacrifice. To be rescued from our sins requires sacrifice. For Israel to be rescued from the 10th plague, out of the 10 plagues that God put on Egypt, for them to be rescued from the 10th plague, it required sacrifice. Now listen, here are just some of the instructions he gives. First of all, you've got to get a lamb that's not blemished. There's no flaw. And you've got to get, and the whole assembly, every household of Israel needs to get their own lamb, and every household needs to kill that lamb. And while you're in the process of this, I want you to eat unleavened bread. Now, why would they eat unleavened bread? Because you want, we like bread to do what? Rise. We, we love some bread, right? But unleavened bread doesn't rise. Now, why would he do that? Because when he calls them out of Egypt, it's going to be right now, and it's going to be quick, and he wants to be ready for it. And then he tells them to eat bitter herbs. You know why he would tell them to do that? Because he wanted them to be reminded on that night when they're kind of contemplating, do I really want to do this? Do I really not want to do this? How bitter slavery was for them. He wanted them to remember that. And then he tells them to take the lamb and eat the whole thing. That's kind of gross, but eat the whole thing. And if it's not eaten, then burn it the next day. But here's the key. He wanted them to take the lamb and take the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorpost and the lintel and that night when the death angel come, that death angel would pass over those houses. That blood was a covering for that house. Now, I know when we read that and I talk about it, some of you are just like, okay, that's just great information. That's great instructions. But listen to me. I want you to see you in this. And I want us to see Jesus in this. Let's start with us. First of all, like the whole assembly, everybody in the assembly, all of the Israelites were to get their own lamb and kill it. Listen to me, all of us in here today, all of us, not just the Jews, not just the Pharisees, all of us in the room today are sinners and our sin killed a lamb. It killed the Savior on a cross, all of us. Our sin, I know sometimes I'm like, well, my sin's not near as bad as that dude over there or that lady over there. I mean, we kind of we do this comparison nonsense, but at the end of the day, because we sin, it cost Jesus his life. Well, Doug, no, that was that. No, 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 no. Because we sin. Because I sin. It cost Jesus his life. And it's like every household had to slaughter a lamb. We were part of the slaughter of our Savior. And we too need to remember that we live under the bitterness of slavery sometimes. If you don't know Christ, slavery's bitter. You don't even know how bitter it is because you're so entrenched in slavery. And if you do know Christ and you choose to live like a slave to sin, you need to be reminded today that being in that slavery and being in bondage to something is just bitter. It keeps you from your journey with Christ. And also, as they were to eat the total lamb, the Bible tells us that we are to totally surrender our lives to Christ. And as that blood was the covering for the house, it is the blood of Jesus that is our covering that will allow us to escape the eventual and coming wrath of God when Jesus comes, not as a savior, but as a judge one day in the future, right? I want you to see you in this. I want us to see us in this. But I also want us to see Jesus in this. And it's so easy to see. This is such a beautiful red thread moment. His sacrifice, his sacrifice was appropriate for all of us. His sacrifice is sufficient to cover your sin. Well, Doug, you don't know my sin. Thank God I don't know your sin. I don't want to, I don't want you to know my sin. But here's what I know. We all sin, don't we? And you know, I may view your sin as heinous and you may view my sin as heinous, but at the end of the day, all sin is heinous and is rebellion toward God. At the end of the day, God, Jesus' death on the cross is sufficient to cover all our sin. And Jesus, why? Because Jesus was the spotless lamb of God. He was sinless and he was perfect. Amen? Amen. 
and only his blood. Listen to me. Only his blood. Only his blood. Only his blood can cover my sin. Only his blood. See, the finished work of Jesus on the cross, when I put my faith in that, it's the only thing that brings me spiritual and physical freedom. Spiritual freedom that now my destiny is not eternal separation, but my destiny is a home in heaven with my Savior. I see us in that. See, the beautiful thing about this, you've got this slavery and they cried out to God and God raised up this deliverer and they were willing to do whatever he said because they wanted to get out of the bondage of slavery and then God sends this moment of rescue. And in this moment of rescue, they found rescue in a lamb. We find rescue in the lamb of God, don't we? Don't we? Amen? Now, when I look at this, there's so much more I want to say, but let me just say this to you. When we think of the story of rescue or the story of redemption, there's always three pieces. Slavery, deliverance, or deliverer, and rescue. That's true in this word, and that is true in our lives. And here's what I believe. I believe in this room this morning, there are three kinds of stories that are going on. One story is this. There's many of us in the room today, like Doug, you were a follower of Jesus Christ. And you blow it and you sin, man, you better believe it. But somehow that Holy Spirit makes us aware of our sin and aware that if we're not careful, we can go down a slippery slope and we can let a sin kind of reign and rule over us again. And so we have that awareness and we find ourselves continually to repent to God and ask God to forgive us and to restore us and to renew us and we continue to trust God. There's that person in the room today. And I hope this story just reminds you that God is always willing to deliver. God's always willing to rescue. And if you're a believer today, we should celebrate that the Holy Spirit is in us to point out the sin that could kind of overtake us and that he leads us down a path of repentance and renewal. And if you're a believer today, man, that, this story should be a glorious moment to go, that's my story. Doug just read my story. Now, I didn't have anything to do about a lamb getting slain and eaten by me. That's my story. My story was slavery, a deliverer named Jesus and rescue. I was nine years old when I got rescued, but I cannot tell you this, for the last 35 years, Jesus is still rescuing me every day for my own stupidity from my own craziness, from my own mentality. And if you're a believer, that's still your story. But then there's a second kind of story in the room. Maybe the person in the room who's a believer who is struggling in your faith. Maybe there's that sin that is just reigning and ruling in your life. And what I would just challenge you to do is this, is to remember this, that when the sun has set you free, you are free indeed. That when you said yes to Christ, you are free from the penalty and the power of sin. So quit living in slavery. Well, Doug, how do I do that? Here's how you do it. You begin with repentance. You begin by getting on your knees before holy God going, God, I need help because I can't do this on my own. I need your wisdom and I need your direction for my life. And maybe one of your stories today is someone who's a follower of Jesus, but today you are struggling as a believer and you just need to own up to it. You need to acknowledge it and ask God to step in to intervene in your life and do something. Recommit to him today. And there's a third story. A story of someone today that does not have a relationship with Christ. Now, all, all eyes right here. If there's ever a day you need to hear what I'm about to say. It is today. It's today. 
Because once again, in this sin-ridden world that we live in, we are reminded today, those of us that are aware, of the mortality of life. We will not live on this earth forever. And that in a moment, the Lord gives, and sometimes things get taken away. And if you don't know Christ today, just listen to me. Sin is reigning and ruling in your life. And whether you want to admit it or not, you know there's a void in there. You know something is missing. But here's the amazing news. Our Heavenly Father is listening to your cries. He knows your heart is broken, hurting, frustrated, ticked off, whatever it is. He knows it. But will you trust him? Will you trust him by accepting the deliverer he sent Jesus to be your Lord and to be your Savior? Because I'm telling you, look at me, please hear me. We don't know when we exit right there what life holds for us. But here's what we want to know. That when I exit those doors, no matter what life holds for me, that one day I'm going to stand before an eternal God and I'm going to be in right standing with him, not because I've done great work, but because I put Jesus and trusted him as my Lord and my Savior. And do you know that today? Man, I'm telling you, that is so heavy on my heart right now that maybe somebody today doesn't have that security of knowing I'm a follower of Jesus. So what I'm going to ask you to do, I'm going to ask everybody to stand with me. Everybody stand up and bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I just want you to hear my words this morning. That if you're that believer that's, that's struggling today, we have some chairs at the front of the room. And I'm going to ask if you're a small group leader, if you would just find the sides of the room, if you've been a small group leader or your leader at any level for us, please just find the sides of the room. Just, that way it's not hard for people to find you if they need to. Just slip out. But if you're a believer today and you're struggling, man, you're struggling. Sin has just got its grip on you. Would you go to someone and let them pray with you? They don't have to know what it is. Just say, pray for me. Or would you step out of your seats in a moment and come to one of these chairs and get on your knees? We're going to call it an altar. Get on your knees before a holy God and just cry out to him. Or if you're angry today and you don't know why, but you're just miserable, there's a deliverer who can help you. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you're not guaranteed the next moment. But eternity is forever. And if you don't know him, I'm not trying to nudge you into him. I'm trying to just shove you the right direction of knowing that there's a Savior who's waiting for you. And if you want to give Jesus your heart and your life today, you want to ask him to be your Lord and your Savior, I'm going to be standing to your left over here on the front, and I would love to talk to you about that. But don't let this moment slip by you. Don't let this moment escape you. Some of us need to come out of the bondage of slavery today for salvation. And some of us need to come out of the bondage of slavery of just letting sin reign and rule and renew our commitment to Christ. Would you do whatever he's leading you to do this morning? Father God, I love you. I thank you for these chapters. And I, I, I know we, we breeze through them, God, but I thank you that as I read this, I'm reminded that, that slavery is where our story began. That we were slaves to sin. But God, you sent a deliverer. You, you stepped in. You didn't go from a distance and just hope we figured it out. You intervened. And you gave us the opportunity to be rescued. 
And I pray for those of us in the room that are believers that have experienced that rescue, that today we might be confronted. Are we letting sin reign in our lives, Lord? And if we are, may we confess that to you. May we repent of that and turn to you and and ask you to renew our commitment to you. But God, I pray for those who don't know you today, those that have never put their faith in you, that today they might experience rescue. Today they might put their faith and their trust in the one you sent, the deliverer who died for our sins. God, would you just speak to hearts today only as you can? Would your Holy Spirit move in this place today? For it's in your precious Son's name we pray. Amen and amen. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is the light, my strength. Song, this cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought.